So one of my favorite organizational psychologists is Dr. Adam Grant. He is a professor at the Wharton School of Business. I don't know what an organizational psychologist really does, but it sounds like a pretty impressive title. And I love listening to this man talk, and I like reading his book called Think Again. And in his book, he talks about, he takes like complex human behavioral stuff that we do on an everyday basis and kind of helps us to see it and helps us to kind of navigate how we act and how we make decisions. In one of his books, I think it's Think Again, he talks about the six stages that each person goes through when they're being creative. He calls it the six stages of the creative process. He says that when you're going to go through a creative process, you start with an idea. And the first step is you think, this is the best idea in the world. I love this idea. And stage two is, well, maybe it's not that great. And then you go to stage three, and stage three is, this idea is terrible. What was I thinking? This is a rotten idea. And stage four is, I'm terrible as well. And then stage five is, well, maybe this idea has some potential. And then stage number six is, this is a really awesome idea. And I'll tell you, if you watch when you go through creative processes or you're trying to create something, you'll probably notice that you might go through this pattern. I'll tell you what, I go through this pattern every single week when I put my message together. And every single week, I am surprised that I went through this process again because I think I'm not going to go through it. I usually start on Monday or Tuesday with an idea for my message, and I think, this is an awesome message. This is going to be great. This is going to be wonderful. And then I think it's going to be easy to pull together. And then by Tuesday or Wednesday, I start to think, oh, maybe this idea isn't so good after all. And then by Wednesday or Thursday, I get into this idea is terrible. What was I thinking? Why did I think to do a message like this? What was I praying about? Did I not hear God? Did I miss God? And then I go through the fourth stage of the creative process where I think, okay, if I'm the one who thought of the idea and it's terrible, I must be terrible as well. And so I go through the stage where I think I'm terrible. What is wrong with me? This is going to be a terrible message. I'm dreading church on Sunday. But then as I keep pushing through, I get to the idea of, well, maybe it's not so bad after all. And then hopefully by Sunday morning, I'm excited about the message. But Dr. Grant, he talks about in stages three and four in the place of this is a terrible idea, I am terrible. He said that's where most people's dreams and visions die. But he also said in stages three and four, that's where the best ideas are birthed. That sometimes in the midst of controversy, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of feeling like this is terrible and everything has gone wrong, that's where you usually find the most creative ideas. And for me, that's usually the place when I'm preparing my message that I stop and say, God, you got to really help me because I'm struggling right now. I thought I heard you say do a message on this, and right now nothing's coming together because I spent the last day just doing Nothing. I accomplished nothing. I spent the whole day thinking I'd write my message and I got maybe two sentences down. But it's during that time of disappointment and frustration, that's part of the creative process. That you have to go through the creative process of being discouraged to sometimes come up with a really good idea. And I think the last year and a half, a lot of people, we would describe it as a time of great discouragement. It's been a pretty frustrating time for the church and for the body of Christ, for individuals, what we have gone through in the last year and a half. With COVID, I'd say a lot of people are just simply disappointed. 
And as we emerge from COVID, and it looks like we're emerging from COVID, it's really an opportune time to be creative and to think again and to dream again. I think it's really important right now that we listen closely to God and listen to the Holy Spirit. What is He stirring up in your heart? What kind of dreams has he given you? What kind of expectations is he putting in your hearts? What kind of big prayers is God leading you to pray? It's so easy to get stuck in disappointment. It's so easy to get stuck in disappointment. But I think as we're emerging from COVID, we need to merge with this idea of optimism. So I ask all of you, what dream or what desire is God stirring in your heart? Is God stirring any expectation in your heart? Is He giving you any desires? Somebody broke our, during the week our camera setting flipped off and so that's why that keeps popping off. So So I ask you, you know, what dreams or desires do you think God is stirring in your heart? You know, when you read through the Bible, a consistent way that God would speak to people is through dreams that He would give them in the night season. I think we're familiar with dreams like Joseph, Jacob had of the ladder that it went to heaven. Or we think of young Joseph who had the dream about the bundles of wheat. There's dreams like that that sometimes you read in the Bible, you're like, that makes no sense at all to me. And then you read in Acts 16 where Paul knew he had to make a decision on where he was going to travel. And him and his friends, they didn't know where to go. And that night Paul went to bed and he woke up and he had a dream in the night and told him exactly where to go. I think a lot of us would love for God to give us more prophetic dreams at night that we would see our future, would see what he's calling us to do or know what we're calling to do. And I know some people have experienced that in this community. And that's a wonderful thing. But I know it doesn't matter if you get a dream in the night, but God can give you a mysterious desire that he just puts in your heart. That over time you wake up and you're like, I really have this desire to do something different. I mean, I love Susie's illustration of five years ago. got this desire to do more scripture journaling, to participate in that more. And what is desire has God put in your heart that he's kind of drawing you to do something? I think the problem is for many of us right now in this season of disappointment, it's easy to to get discouraged and it's easy to say, I'm not trying anything new right now. For a lot of people, their desires get buried under layers of disappointment. And I think right now it's time to get out a shovel and kind of unearth some of the desires that are deep within our heart. I think it's time to get out of stages three and four where we think this idea is terrible or maybe I'm terrible and let God renew in us an expectation. N.T. Wright, he's a a pretty popular uh, theologian. I like what he says about prophetic words or prophetic dreams. He said, prophetic words and prophetic dreams, they're like signposts into the fog. Like a prophetic word can be like a signpost into the fog. Even though God may have told you something in a dream or put something in your heart, you're still going to have to walk with complete faith and hope and trust and confidence with God. And sometimes God leads us into the fog. And I think for a lot of us, it's really foggy right now. When you walk into the fog, images are a little blurred. You're not exactly sure where you're going. You have to be pretty careful. And I think as God leads us out of COVID and leading us into whatever dream or desire he's put in our heart, we're going to have to carefully walk through the fog. But see, the good thing about the fog is that we know sooner or later it's going to lift. And we know that as the sun shines through the fog, the fog lifts and we can see clear what we need to see. 
It's foggy right now. And I think we need to be praying as a church that we have the boldness to walk in expectation. We have the boldness to walk in hope. Last week I left us off saying from Acts 4, saying as a church, we need to be praying for boldness to share our witness. We need to be praying for miracles. We need to be asking God to impart to us that same enthusiasm the early church had in Acts 4, where they prayed that God would give them boldness and he prayed that God would do miracles. And I think we need to pray that God would give us confidence to walk in boldness as we walk through this fog that we seem to be in right now. Because if we're going to get through this fog, we're going to have to be very careful. Because right now there's a lot of obstacles that are in front of us from being encouraged. I think one of the biggest obstacles that we all face right now is just the feeling of being very discouraged. A lot of us have a lot of reasons to be discouraged of what happened over the last year and year and a half. For a lot of us, we've lost a lot of relationships in the last year. There's been a lot of division in the church, a lot of division over politics, a lot of division over anything right now. And I think it's pretty frustrating. A lot of people feel pretty discouraged. And it's easy right now to say, I'm discouraged, I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm, just not, I'm going to live with no expectations. But I think God is calling us to live with greater expectations, to live with greater enthusiasm. But it's hard. Because it's hard to dream again. Some people will tell me, say, well, Jack, I had an expectation. I had a hope. I had a prayer. And things didn't happen the way I wanted them to happen. And that's discouraging. And that's difficult. It's hard when you had an expectation for something and things didn't come out the way that you anticipated. But I don't think that's a reason not to have any more expectations or hope in the future. Sometimes God brings us through a process that sometimes can be frustrating. It's easy for me right now to look at the disappointments in my life and, play, and put a blame on it, to have a reason for it. As a church, it's been frustrating the process that we've gone through the last year and a half. As you can see, we've lost size. We've, um, some people have made great decisions and they've gone to other churches and we bless them as they left and some people have just disappeared and I don't even know where they are and they don't return calls. It would be easy to sit here and make a blame and say, well, it's because we haven't been able to meet. It's because we don't own a building. It's because of the restrictions that have been on us. There's a lot of reasons that I could look at why we're in the situation that we're in right now. But if I blame it on other situations, I'm not being true to my belief that God is sovereign, that God leads us, and that he guides us, and that he directs us, and he establishes our steps. Because sometimes God takes us down a path that seems pretty mysterious. And it doesn't seem like the best idea. But yet, that's where we're at. And I think a lot of us just have to come to grips with the reality of we might not like the situation we're in right now but maybe God is using it for a strategic purpose that's way bigger than we could imagine or ask for or hope for. And now is not the time to give up just because you're feeling a little discouraged or you're feeling like this is a terrible idea or I'm terrible by extension. I think this is a time in our life to get really creative and to really seek God. 
And there's another reason why we need to be praying that God would give us boldness. Because right now, it's a very easy to say, I'm going to imitate somebody else instead of pursue the dreams and desires that God has given to me. Last week, we talked about Ananias and Sapphira. By all accounts, they were probably leaders in the church. They were good people in the church. In Acts 5, we see them, they come to church and they lied. They lied to the leadership of the church. They lied to the, they lied to the Holy Spirit. They said, we brought you a gift, but they lied about it. See, I think one of the reasons, this is my reason why I think one of the reasons Ananias and Sapphira lied, because they thought they wanted to be a Barnabas. Barnabas in chapter 4 was listed as one of the leaders of the church that was a remarkable man who was extremely generous and he was an encourager. I think, I think Ananias and Sapphira thought, I want to be like him. But they didn't have the capacity to be like Barnabas, so they had to lie to pretend they were someone that they weren't. And that lying literally cost them their life. I think if Ananias and Sapphira would have been honest and they went to church and said, look, we're struggling. We're struggling with insecurity. We're struggling with doubt. We're struggling because we don't really know who we are. We want to be something, people of significance and that's what we're trying to do. But it's not going to work out well for them. If Ananias and Sapphira would have spent their time being vulnerable into church about their current situation, they would have had a completely different outcome. But I think sometimes we get insecure and instead of pursuing the dreams and the desires and the ambitions that God has given to us, we try to pretend that we're somebody that we're not. And that leads to danger and you see what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. It didn't go well for them. And another reason I think we need to pray for boldness right now is I think because sometimes we really struggle with our dreams because we worry about our motives. I think as the older you get, sometimes you worry more about motives than maybe you did when you were younger. Because I think now at this point in my life, I realize, oh yeah, a lot of the things I did in my life, they weren't for the glory of God. It was because I needed some significance in my life. And I think sometimes we worry about our motives. Is my motive pure? Is the desire that I appear? Is my dream that from God or is it just because I want to look like I'm somebody I'm not? I think we worry about that to the point where sometimes we don't dream or have any expectations. I think one of the benefits that God did through COVID is that God used COVID to help sort through a lot of the false motives or bad motives that we have in our heart. I think through COVID that God revealed to a lot of us that you really can survive on just Jesus alone. I know every person when we go through the sanctification process, we know our goal is to be able to say, all I need is Jesus. We all want to say that. And I think COVID and I think the structure and the difficulties in the last year and a half helped us see that, yeah, Jesus is good enough for me. That really I can survive on just my relationship with Jesus. And yeah, none of us perfected it totally, but I think we moved closer into that. And I think that's a great part about COVID because I think we learned through COVID to the difference between our pure motives and our godly motives. And I think as we've gone through COVID that God has used COVID to till the soil of our hearts, to pull out any weeds, to pull out any rocks, to pull out any things that might separate us from doing what God has really called us to do. And as we emerge from COVID, I think it is time for us to plant seeds, to plant seeds of hope, plant seeds of expectation, to plant seeds of desire, to take a risk and to pray some big prayers 
to take a risk and to tell somebody what you're hoping for, to take a risk and tell somebody what you really desire, to take a risk and to tell somebody that you think God has put something on your heart and would you pray with me because I want to really see that happen or come to pass. That's a scary thing to do sometimes because sometimes you're like, but I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to look like I missed it. But I think it's time for us to take a risk. Some of you know that the last five years or so, my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law come every year to visit us to go to tulip time in Holland, Michigan. So we go to tulip time every single year. And one of my favorite parts of going to tulip time is when you go to Windmill Island and you'll see these big beds of tulips. You'll see like a bed of probably 500 red tulips all planted. And every single time, there's always one wild tulip in the middle. There's always like a purple one that grew right in the middle. And it wasn't planned it's not supposed to be there. Nobody wanted it to be there, but yet it came up. And I think that's sometimes what happens with our expectations and our hopes and our desires. We plant them in the ground and it comes up completely different from whatever we expected. But I think that's God's way of surprising us sometimes. I think that's God's way of saying to us sometimes, okay, you can plant something and maybe you're going to be a little off in your motive. Maybe you're going to be a little off in your understanding. But I'm going to bring forth what needs to come forth at the right time. I think some of us are planting purple tulips when we think we're planting red tulips. And I think that's kind of exciting to see what's going to spring up. But on my final point of why we need to be praying bold prayers... Why we need to be praying that God leads us through the fog is because right now... As the Apostle Paul says, we are all groaning. He says in Romans 8 that the entire body of Christ is groaning right now. We're groaning for many reasons. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, verse 22 through 24. We're just going to hover over these few verses today. Paul says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they have already seen? All creation is groaning right now. See, Webster's would define groan as to give forth a low, moaning sound and breathing, to utter a groan as in pain or in sorrow or disappointment. I love these three little verses. It's kind of written to us right now. Right this very moment, I think Paul just wrote them for today. I love how Paul, in three verses uses this mixed metaphor of adoption and farming and childbirth to describe our feelings. And three little verses, he punches all that in there. See, I think a lot of us think, how can you moan? Or how can you groan? You're a follower of Jesus. You're not supposed to groan. You're supposed to be happy and you're supposed to be rejoicing. But Paul says all believers groan. See, we groan because life is difficult. We groan because we are disappointed. We groan because we've suffered loss. 
We groan because we know things are not supposed to be the way they are right now. And we groan too over our own brokenness, our own woundedness. We groan over our own situation. And we groan because we know things are supposed to be different than they are right now. And we all long for this deep desire to be set free from all this corruption in our world. We deeply long for it. But we got to wait. And as we wait, we groan. I like what Chuck Swindoll says about this passage. He says that we are like children in an orphanage, waiting with bags packed and complete adoption papers in one hand, waiting for the Father. See, the adoption's legal. The paperwork's been signed. We have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit, but we're waiting for the Father to return and to take us to our final eternal home. We're in that waiting period. We're like that child in the adoption, just waiting. It's coming. It's coming. But it's difficult while you wait. So Paul goes on to help us even understand even more the groaning that we go through. And he's going to describe it like the pains of childbirth. Half the people in this room know the sincere pain of childbirth. And Paul says that's what this pain is like right now. But he reminds us when you talk about the pain of childbirth, that the pains of childbirth is also a sign that new life is going to come. Paul wants us to remember that something good will come out of the pain, that something good will come out of the misery, something good will come out of the travail. See, as we look over the pain and the discomfort of the last year, it's really easy to forget that something good is going to come out of these painful times. We should have great expectation right now. We've been through a painful season. We should have great expectation that the new life is going to come. We should be motivated by what Paul is saying here, that new life is going to come out of this situation. That's why in these few little verses, Paul uses the word hope so many times. Paul uses the word hope to describe the assured expectation that we have for our future. We've been adopted. We've been redeemed. We have the guarantee. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. But we wait, and we can wait with hope as well. So in the midst of encouraging the church to talk about groaning, Paul slides in the word first fruits. You're like, now, Paul, why are you bringing up farming? How did you bring a farming illustration into adoption, into the situation? So I think some of us, we always have a hard time with farming illustrations because I don't think any of us here do farming for a living. But back 2,000 years ago, they would have known exactly what Paul was talking about. And they'd been really comforted by the fact that he's bringing up first fruits. Because we know 2,000 years ago, to be a farmer was a very difficult profession. And everybody pretty much had to do it. You had a lot of resistance against you. You had the ground that was difficult to work with. You had weeds. You had drought. You had pest. You had weather that you could not control. And there's a lot of uncertainty as a farmer. And to be a farmer takes a big risk to plant a seed because you're not really sure what's going to come up. See, for a farmer, there's absolutely no guarantee that they would plant that seed 2,000 years ago that they would actually get an ear of corn. There's no guarantee for them as they took care of their grapes and they, the 
prune the branches and prop them up that they would actually get some good grapes at the end of the season. There was nothing that they, that was a good guarantee for them. They had to wait. They'd plant that seed and they'd have to wait. Well, am I really going to get an ear of corn? Are I really going to harvest some apples? Will I get some grapes? But see, the farmer's really excited when the very first ear of corn is ready to pick. Because they know if that first ear of corn is really good, they know that everything that follows is going to be really, really good. And if that first apple that you pick from the tree, if that tastes really good, you know you're in for a great season of good apples. Or maybe that first bunch of grapes that the farmer picks, if those are good grapes, you know everything else is going to harvest, is, that will be harvested will be really good. The first fruit is always an indication of how the rest of the season will go. That's why in the Old Testament culture, they would always go to the temple to celebrate first fruits. They would bring their first fruits of the first production to the temple as a way to say, thank you, God, for what you provided for us. To say thank you that you provided this good corn or apples or grapes, but also to thank God and ask him that he would continue to make sure that the rest that's going to follow would be really good as well. So you notice how Paul uses the first the word first fruits. He says we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. Since the first fruit is always an indication of how things in the future will go, when Paul says you have the first fruit of the Holy Spirit, that's a good indication that everything that follows is going to be better. That everything that follows is going to be really, really good. And that's what Paul is reminding us in the midst of talking about pain of childbirth, in the midst of talking about adoption and waiting. He's saying, but you have the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. You have the guarantee that every single thing that follows the Holy Spirit in your life will be really, really good. That you have the guarantee that your life is only going to get better. That your life is only going to get better. Maybe you're going to have a disappointment along the way. But Paul's saying, remember, it only gets better from this point on. That's why the first fruits were so important. If that first fruit was good, everything else that follows was going to be good. And if we have the first fruit of the Holy Spirit as the mark of our salvation, then that's pretty much a guarantee that everything that follows in our life is going to be really, really good. I love how Paul just encourages us just talking about first fruits. But then in verse 24, we'll close with this. Paul says, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what they already have? What does Paul mean by saying that in this hope we were saved? See, Paul's telling us, he's saying, with your salvation, you got the Holy Spirit, but you also got hope. That hope in the Holy Spirit is pretty much a package deal that you get. Part of, your, part of your salvation is your future secure, but you also have a security that you're always going to have hope no matter what happens in your life. See, for a Christian, what's remarkable is that we can have hope in the midst of suffering. We can have hope in the midst of difficult circumstances. Sometimes we think, oh, all the hardships have to leave, all the difficulties have to leave, then I can have hope. But Paul's saying, no, 
is a Christian, you have the double blessing of having salvation and hope at the exact same time, no matter what situation you're going to go through. So then Paul asks the rhetorical question. He says, who hopes for what they already have? Paul's making a point that what you can't see is always better than what you can see right now. But that's counterintuitive for the way we think. Often our hope is based on what we can see instead of what we can't see, as Paul is saying, to put your hope in. A lot of times we get discouraged because what we can see is our money or our, recon or our recognition. Or we can see our prosperity or our lack of influence or our lack of success. Usually it's what we can see that we decide if that's going to give us hope or not. And Paul says you've got to stop thinking that way. Your hope has to be in this eternal future that you have. Your hope has to be in the fact that you've been adopted, that you've been redeemed, that you have an eternal home waiting for you. Paul's encouraging all of us to be creative, to dream, to imagine, to have expectations. But not to get discouraged if what we see isn't what we are hoping for. Because what we don't see is always worth more than anything we can see. Someday, someday, we will live by sight when we get to heaven and we have eternity. But for now, Paul says, live by faith. And he says, you can all do that because you have the gift of hope. You have the gift of assurance. You have the gift and the guarantee of your adoption. Paul is saying you have everything you need right now. But continue to dream and continue to plant seeds and continue to pursue. What does God have for you? What has God put in your heart? I know that's risky. Next week I want to talk about the desires that God has put in my heart for Lake Effect Church. It's risky saying that because what if it doesn't happen? But I think it's more risky not talking about dreams or desires or hopes or expectations. I don't think we can live a satisfied life if we don't pursue what God has put in our hearts. Even though our hope is in what's eternal. But I think it's good to, that we leave remembering that the first fruit is always an indication of the future. And we have the first fruit of the Holy Spirit inside of us. We'll never be disappointed because we have the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. So God, I come before you right now at the end of this message. And I thank you, Lord, for bringing us here. And God, I thank you from every indication it does appear like we are emerging from COVID. It does appear like we are emerging from restrictions. And God, we want to dream again. We want to have renewed expectations, renewed desires, and renewed thoughts. God, would you give us the courage to have big dreams? God, would you heal us from any disappointment or disillusionment that we might have had in the past season? God, I know a lot of us, it's been very hard as we move through COVID. And God, I'm asking that you would help us to rise up with boldness, with anticipation, with hope, with tenacity. 
God, I pray that as a community we would hear your voice, what you're speaking to us collectively as a group, but as individuals and as families and collectively together. God, we want to glorify you. We want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your will be done. And God, I pray that you just infuse us with creativity right now to pursue you. Give us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness like we've never had before. Would you give us a deeper desire to read your word and would your word become alive to us? Would you give us boldness, Lord, to to reach out and to be your witness? And God, I thank you as we go through all of this, we have comfort to knowing that your Holy Spirit's with us. So God, as Jake and Libby lead us in this final song, I pray that you administer to each of us. And may we find comfort in the words of this song. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.